Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Get your sick friends to Jesus. Get them to the feet of Jesus. And especially in the day and age in which we live, and I get it, there's a sickness and stuff like that, but well then let's get them to Jesus as best as we can through, we have amazing technology nowadays. But the point of it all is this, we need to be praying for people and we need to be concerned for other people like Jesus. I wanted to bring this person and their needs to you so that you can heal them because you are the solution. There's no doubt that Jesus saw many bring their loved ones to his feet in desperation for healing. Many miles were traveled and roofs were torn off to get to the Messiah. In today's world, we might not have to do too much physical labor to get our friends to Jesus, but Pastor James quickly reminds us to get our sick friends to the feet of Jesus so that he can supply their need. It's less breaking down a roof and more getting on our knees and praying on their behalf. So don't wait. Speak the name of Jesus over them today. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark chapter 7 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. The disciples, God love these guys. These guys are amazing. They, they urged Jesus to send her away. Tell her to go away. Jesus, she won't stop talking. She won't quit. Dude, send her away. They have a bad habit of telling Jesus what to do. As disciples, you do not get to tell the teacher what to do. As Christians... We do not get to tell Jesus what to do, but yet there's a percentage of my prayer life that is telling Jesus what to do. They're like, she's bothering us with all her begging. Where is their compassion? They heard her story. She's like, my daughter's suffering. She's demon possessed. And they're like, oh, oy vey, like Jesus, get rid of this woman. She is annoying us. Wait, you just learned the lesson about the sheep not having a shepherd and Jesus showing compassion on the crowds. And all they did back then was complain about the crowds. And now they're complaining about the Gentile woman. Jesus addresses her, verse 24, says, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came, here's the key. She came and worshiped him. She fell at his feet, pleading again, Lord, no son of David, Lord, help me, help me. And now you can turn back over to Mark chapter 7, because really this is kind of where Mark picks up that story. So now you have a little bit more context within this little miracle. So he's in the Tyre region. We saw that in verse 24. We went through 25. Verse 25 says, right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet, right? Okay, so there we go. Fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. So you note that Mark and Peter don't include the part about the disciples saying, Jesus, can you just get rid of this lady, right? They didn't include that. That's fine. That's okay. It says, since she was a Gentile born in Syrian Phoenicia, or she's Syrian Phoenician, Jesus told her, first, I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. I came to the Jews first. 
It isn't right to take food from the children and to throw it to the dogs. And you're like, oh, Jesus, why? No, why? Like, you already ignored her once. And are you calling her a dog? Let's clarify this, okay? There was a really, really ugly thing back in the day, in these times, biblical times, where the Jews would refer to Gentiles as dogs. And the term dogs that they would use is more of scavengers. Especially back then, there were dogs that would just roam around freely. And they were mean, they were aggressive, and you just had to protect your children because, I mean, they'd come in and they'd try to snatch your kid, right? I mean, it was, they're dangerous. And that's the term that the Jews would use towards the Gentiles. They're dogs, scavengers, filthy. Nobody wants them. We don't want you around. And we know that even there is... Um, some rabbis back in the day would even go so far as to say the only purpose of a Gentile is to fuel the fires of hell. Like, that's what they thought. So, I mean, what's amazing is, I hope you understand this, because sometimes we are just so immersed within the little box we live in, and we know that, like, racism's a problem, but do you know racism has always been a problem? Do you understand that it's a global epidemic? We think of like, well, just America and racism. No, it's beyond us. And it's been beyond us for thousands of years. It's always been a problem. And I don't care what group it is. This group has always hated that group. And that group has always hated this group. And this, we just hate each other. Why? Because we're sinners. Because we're sinners. Was that God's design? Of course not. Of course not. These Jews, they hated the Gentiles. And I before you think like, oh man, the Gentiles hated the Jews. It went both ways and both parties were wrong. They both were wrong. So Jesus uses this term dog, but he doesn't use the scavenger, you know, that dog. He's not talking about that. What he says here is, it's not right to take food from the children and to throw it to the dogs. That term for dogs is a totally different one. And he's referencing little puppies, the family pet that you have that lives inside your house that you maybe have a special purse for and he goes in there and he goes everywhere with you, he's talking about that dog. You're still like, it's still a dog, but you understand what he's saying. Jesus never referred to the Gentiles as that other kind of dog term. And right here, he's just letting this lady know. He's like, look, this is like a term of endearment towards her. And we miss that sometimes. We think like, well, it sounds... Offensive. Yeah, but it's not meant to be that way. And you can imagine when 20, almost 21 years ago, I married Nellie Peasley and I'm introduced to her family. And the weirdest thing comes to like realization for me is when I hear her dad talking to his three daughters. That's all he has, three daughters, poor guy, outnumbered, you know, his whole life, right? But I'd hear him referencing them as like mountain goat and cement head, and all this stuff. And I'm like, what's going on? And, but they're like, oh, no, those are terms of endearment. Like, that's just what we call each other. It's loving terms. And from an outsider's perspective, you're like, that doesn't sound nice at all. But then when you're in, you're like, oh, yeah, I get it. Um, I totally get it, right? It's almost like that, where Jesus is like, no, you're, you're not the scavenger. That's not how I see you. How I see you is with value. I care about you. Her response is amazing, amazing. 
And Jesus is going to the Jew first. And I think sometimes more specifically, he's talking about his ministry to the disciples at this point in time and his teaching them at this moment in time. I think that's what he was referencing. You know, and yes, it's true that he came to the Jews first and then it would go to the Gentiles. We understand that. If you don't, just read through the book of Acts and it becomes as clear as day. But I think he's talking about like these moments that he has with his 12. And I think technically they're the children he's referencing right now, where he's like, look, I'm feeding these guys right now, okay? I'm trying to take care of these guys, because these guys need a lot of help. They need a lot of help, because they just wanted me to kick you out. Like, they wanted me to get rid of you, okay? So it's better that I help them first, okay? And, you know, and then she's like, she comes back with this great reply, verse 28. That's true, Lord. And I love that. That's a, it's a way of ascribing humility towards him. She's answering in a humble way, but also to her, she's submitting to his lordship. So really what she's saying within that little phrase there is like, if you say no, I'm okay with that no, because you're Lord. Something's changed. She's now worshiping him and she's now addressing him as Lord. But she says, that's true, Lord. But however, even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. And we may think of like, well, what's so great about that statement? Well, here's Jesus, the Messiah, and he is, he is amazed at her statement. He is wowed. That only happens two times in your Gospels. Jesus himself is like amazed at the faithful response, and they were Gentiles, to him. And here was the other one. New Living Translation says, good answer. And I like that. Like, good answer. Wow, that's a great response. That's an incredible response. That's a very logical response. Yes, because if you have little puppies living in your house, and if you have children, you know those dogs are well-fed. You understand that. You get it. Even if you don't have kids, those dogs are well-fed. There's plenty. And what she was saying to Jesus was this. I understand that, Jesus, and I respect that. However, there is so much for everyone. There's more than enough for everyone. I know you're here for them first, but there's enough for all of us. There's enough for all of us. And she got what the Pharisees and the scribes and the disciples, two-thirds of that group, not many of those guys ever really got it. The disciples, it took them a little while to get it. She got it in an instant. She's like, I respect you, Jesus. I understand what you're saying. However, don't scraps fall from the table? He's like, yeah, they do. Good answer. Great answer. And I think he was just drawing that out of her the whole time. I don't believe that Jesus was going to turn her away and leave her daughter to suffer. I think he was bringing this Gentile woman to this place of realization. Don't come to me calling me something that you don't know in one sense. Now, I get when we first get saved and we use terms that we probably don't really know. There was a lot of Christianese that I had no clue what some of these words meant, but other people were saying them, and so I just started saying them, okay? And it took some time to read and look up definitions and all that good stuff, but he's like, look, just come to me as you are, and let's have this talk, and let me draw something out of you that I know is there. Good answer. Great answer. He says, now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. One of the only times in the Gospels where Jesus does a healing from a distance, and he didn't even, he didn't even say anything. He just tells her, he's like, great answer. 
I love that answer. That's perfect. It's amazing. All right, now go take care of your kid. She's fine. Your girl's fine. Your daughter's fine. And it says, verse 30, she arrived home. She found her little girl lying quietly in bed, not hovering over the bed, not like anything like that. Like the demon was gone. And she's like, there's my sweet little angel. She's back. And, and her story is done as far as we know. Here's what's cool about this. Up in his presence right now is a Syrophoenician woman dancing, dancing in his presence. There's a good chance there's a Syrophoenician woman and her daughter dancing in the presence of the Lord. This is amazing because she's a Gentile woman. We have another account of a Gentile woman that Jesus had an interaction with, and it was the woman by the well, John chapter 4. Jesus, you're not supposed to talk to these women. Rabbis don't talk to Gentile women. That's your role. That's your role, not his role. Jesus, you're not supposed to go after those people. That's your role, not his role. He took time to address this lady and address her needs, and he set this lady's daughter free. Amazing, amazing. And then this last little story, there's a lot into this. We may have to part two this thing. That's fine, but let's just at least read through it. Verse 31, Jesus left Tyre, he, so he left that region and went up to Sidon, and before going back to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Ten Towns or the Decapolis, a deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him, and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man to heal him. Another great, great application of get your sick friends to Jesus. Get them to the feet of Jesus. And especially in the day and age in which we live, and I get it, there's a sickness and stuff like that, but well, then let's get them to Jesus as best as we can. Through We have amazing technology nowadays. But the point of it all is this. We need to be praying for people. And we need to be concerned for other people like Jesus. I wanted to bring this person and their needs to you so that you can heal them because you are the solution. We have so many ways to do that. Even in a a world that is terrified right now, well, then find a smart solution. These people, they get this man to Jesus because they know Jesus can help them. Verse 33, Jesus led him, this individual, away from the crowd so they could be alone. He put his fingers in the man's ears, and you're like, ah, man, only I was a youth pastor once again. You know, wet willies by Jesus. Like, he's like, boop, boop, you know, like, boop, plugs his fingers into this dude's ears. What's kind of cool about this is, in one way, Jesus is using sign language to communicate to this guy. He's using signs to communicate to this guy what he's about to do. That's beautiful. That's amazing. I love sign language. I really want to learn sign language. And here's why. I was in Starbucks one time, and the person working on the counter, she was deaf. And the person in front of me knew sign language, and he was signing with her. And I was just like, man, what an awesome thing to be able to do is to communicate with somebody where they're at. It's awesome. That's why you should learn other languages. Well, what should I learn? Well, Spanish is a good one. That would be helpful. Learn sign language. Learn other people's language so that, why? So that you could speak with them. And watch those doors open up. It's amazing. Jesus sticks his fingers in this guy's ears because he can't hear. And then spitting on his own fingers, okay, he touched the man's tongue. And you're like, whoa, 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 we don't do that. Well, back then, spit was seen as medicinal. Back then. Now, if I go to my doctor, and he's like, all right, I got something for you. I'm like, 
knees, you know, and does something. I'm like, yeah, I'm walking out. I'm leaving. Um, I don't know what I got, but I'll just keep it. Um, it's fine. I'll tough it out because um, that's not okay. Back then, it was seen as medicinal. And man, I, to be honest, spit from the creator of the universe? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead, man. It was your breath that gave us life anyways. Okay. This guy is like, I can't even imagine how some of these people felt. Remember the guy who was blind and Jesus like spit into the ground and made mud and then rubbed the mud into his eye sockets and made him new eyeballs? I can't even imagine what these people were thinking as they're, well, that guy wasn't seeing anything, but as they're like, his senses, he could hear it, but as they're like, this is happening before them. Just amazing. Here's what's cool about this whole story. We don't see him do this any other times which means you cannot put God in a box. Well, you did it like this this one time, so we're just going to keep praying that you keep doing it the same way. He's like, that's not how it works. It's not how it works. It's not how he works in your life. It's not how he works in your family. It's not how he works at Calvary Galveston. We can't just compare and think like, well, this is how you did it over here, and so you got to do it the same way. He's like, I don't work that way. You saved this family through that and this and that. He's like, but that's not your family. I know your family. I know what they need. This guy, he didn't need Jesus to spit into the mud and make him new eyeballs. His eyes were fine. What he needed was new ears. And what he needed is for his tongue to be touched by the creator of the universe so that it can be set free. So he could be set free. He says, verse 34, looking up to the heaven, he sighed. And that's not like a, uh, you know, that, like how I respond a lot of times or how my kids respond to me a lot of times. This was a sigh of like compassion. And also Jesus is expressing there is like, man, this guy's issues, it's just, it's a result of living in a fallen world, a fallen world. And he looks up to heaven and he sighs and he says, epaphatha right? Which I don't even know if I'm saying that the right way, but it, it means be opened, be opened. Instantly, immediately, the man could hear perfectly, perfectly. And his tongue was free so he could speak plainly. So he was having some sort of speech impediment problem. And sometimes when your ears go, your speech can go as well. The two are connected. Jesus freed up his ears, opened up his ears, and so then his tongue was free to speak. Good, good practical application. You and I, we need our ears opened by Jesus before this little thing inside the mouth that's such a troublemaker can speak properly. Are you hearing him? Please hear him first before you try to use this thing, okay? Hear him first. May he open up our ears to hear him and then may he set our tongues free to glorify him. Two ears, one tongue, two ears, twice as much listening, less talking, all that good stuff. This guy can hear perfectly. And for the first time probably in his life, he can actually speak plainly. And what's amazing about that, even if he could say some words, we have to learn how to talk. We have to learn how to talk. As infants and toddlers, we learn to say words this guy in an instant could hear perfectly and could speak perfectly. And that's just how Jesus does it sometimes. It's amazing. In fact, every healing that takes place in the Gospels, the ones who are crippled, who could never walk, they bounce onto their feet and they're running and jumping. 
They didn't have to learn how to do any of that because when he healed them, he healed them instantly and completely and perfectly. Last little thing, Jesus told the crowd, don't tell anybody. Keep it quiet. Yeah, okay. Um, But the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. And yes, you can identify, you can relate to this only to a certain degree. Only to a certain degree. If you've ever been in charge of anything, you're like, please stop doing that. And they're like, oh, you want us to do this more? Okay. Um, It's like with kids, it's the beauty of being a parent. Please stop doing that. Oh, I've taken that in, processed it, and I've interpreted it as that you want me to do this more. I'm like, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. Jesus is like, please don't tell anybody. They're like, what we're hearing from you is, he's like, you, I need to stick my fingers in your ears. This is not working. Like, no, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Here's the sad thing. This has all changed. Now he's like, please tell people. And we're like, we've taken that in and we processed it. And we think that you mean don't tell anybody. He's like, hmm, No. I actually want you to tell people now. And they were super stoked and excited about telling as many people as possible when they were told not to. And now Jesus in the Great Commission is like, go and make disciples. Go and tell everybody. And we're like, "Mm, no, 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 Jesus. I don't know if that's what you meant. Um, And it's like, what? No, he meant that. Go, tell people. We have to keep it a secret. He's not worried about this anymore. This was to keep the crowds at bay because they want to elevate him to this position that he didn't come for at this moment in time. He's coming back for that, the second return. But right now, he's there to die. He's there to die. And so he tells them, don't tell anybody, but they just kept telling people. It says they were completely amazed and said again and again, everything he does is wonderful. He even makes the deaf to hear and gives speech to those who cannot speak, probably quoting from Isaiah in Isaiah's reference of what the Messiah would do. Everything he does is wonderful. Everything he does is wonderful. And I'll say it for a third time. Everything he does is wonderful. It's wonderful. Do we understand it? Not all the time. Do we like it? Not all the time. Everything he does is wonderful. Why? Because he is wonderful. He is wonderful. And the Lord loves you. He cares about you. And just like he would make a trip up to the Tyre region, and it seems as though he just went up there so he can have this encounter with a Gentile woman, because what else did he do up there? He did that, and then he left. So he pursued that lady, because he cared about that lady. He cared about that lady's daughter. And then he left there. And then he stopped off in this place. Why? For that one guy. For that one guy. And he healed that guy, and he met that guy where he was at, and he addressed his needs. Why? Because he is wonderful. Because Jesus is wonderful, and because Jesus cares about us. Why hasn't he shown up yet? I don't know. Why hasn't he answered my prayer yet? I don't know. But what I do know is this, and it has helped me for the last 20-something years of following Jesus, is he's amazing, and his timing is perfect. And I don't understand him all the time. I don't like his methods all the time. But man, when he shows up, he shows up. And it's awesome. And it's amazing. And he is wonderful. Faith would say, I can live today regardless of where I'm at with him. And if he's answered my prayer or not answered my prayer, faith makes it possible for us to live today saying, he is wonderful. He is wonderful. Your light's falling apart. Man, the Lord is wonderful. He's amazing. He's so good. He is so good. Hopeless hope
Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken. You've been listening to Pastor James Grizzle as he teaches through the book of Mark, one of the accounts of Jesus' time here on earth. Though it's short, this book is powerful as it's filled with encounters that Jesus had with people, everyday people just like you and me. And the book of Mark reminds us that Jesus came to serve. He humbly did what needed to be done, even if it wasn't glamorous. Jesus healed the people who were sick. He spent time with the lonely and the rejected. He loved the unloved unconditionally. And then he proved his love by the ultimate act of service. He gave up his life for all of us. He took the place of every person on the earth, and then those to come, because we all deserve death. Our sins make us unacceptable to God, and we're unable to do anything to fix it. That's why we need Jesus. Today, if you haven't allowed Jesus to be your Savior, please consider it again. If you have questions or would you like to talk more with someone, then please take a moment and go to breadforthebroken.com and click on Contact. Just fill out the form and we'll be in touch with you. You can also come visit us if you're in the Galveston area. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston, and we meet every Sunday and Thursday. So find out more at breadforthebroken.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Next time, Pastor James will pick up where he left off in the book of Mark. So make a note of where we are and make plans to join us next time, here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.